podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. And some of you might be wondering, we had a couple of songs in our worship list today that still felt kind of Christmassy, especially the first song. Well, that's because in the church calendar, we're actually still in what is referred to as Christmas tide. And you know, the whole 12 days of Christmas, it wasn't just kind of a cute and monotonous and repetitive song that, that after probably about the fourth iteration, you're like, okay, it's actually referencing this season of time uh, post-Advent at the birth of the celebration of Christ. We now enter into a season of Christmas tide. It's, it's a season of celebration and awe and wonder that, that Christ has come. And we'll move into this, into Epiphany. And that is a season of the revelation of who, God, who God's son is in Christ, and we'll teach more on that. But this passage is still very much a, a Christmas tide passage here in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. This is what I like to call our home alone passage. Kevin! Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Now, now what's going on? Well, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, and Nazareth was a three days journey from Jerusalem. So they'd already traveled a day, probably sitting around by a campfire, cooking food, realizing, oh my gosh, like, where is our son? How do you lose Jesus I mean, all the dreams, all the miracles, all the angels, savior of the world, you lost him. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be turning around and going back too. So a day's journey out, epiphany, (laughs) revelation, a day's journey back, and then a day's, you know, traveling around throughout Jerusalem, which is not a massive town, but still very, very densely populated as people are still, you know, making their transition out of the Passover celebration. And where, where is this 12-year-old boy? Verse 44, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, you think? When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? As as if it's like his fault. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I love this response. It's so innocent. Listen, he's not being a smart aleck here. There's no sarcasm. He's just said, this is total innocence. He says, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? There's another translation that says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? 
but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. One of the the literary tools that Luke likes to use because Luke has amongst many of his agendas, primary to his agenda is to reveal Christ to the Gentiles and to the poor and to the seemingly marginalized in the community. And that's why you'll see certain stories that Luke draws out that the other three gospel writers do not. But he also has this agenda to demonstrate a continuity with the Jewish faith and to show that Jesus is not operating outside of that tradition. He's, he's actually fulfilling things and starting new things, but it's all in this spirit of continuity. And so you'll find that Luke draws a lot from many Old Testament passages. And the one that he draws from here is actually found in 1 Samuel chapter two. And if we could go to 1 Samuel chapter two, we're gonna look at verse 18 through 20. And we're gonna look at verse 26. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this particular story, in a very condensed version, a lady by the name of Hannah, who was without children and in great distress, cried out to the Lord and engaged in a time of fasting and a time of prayer, asking God to bring to her a child. The Lord answered that prayer And not only did he give her a child, he gave her a son and a son who was destined to be the first prophet and judge in the nation. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter two, let's look at verse 18. Now we find that after the Lord brings Samuel to Hannah, she has this prayer very much like Mary's prayer that we looked at last week that Luke draws from. And then we find a little bit of narrative about Samuel's life because part of the conditions that Hannah engaged in in her fast was this prayer of dedication. God, if you give me a son, I'm gonna give him back to you. And he'll be devoted and consecrated and dedicated for your service and for your ministry. And so Samuel actually grows up in the temple of the Lord under the apprenticeship and the the tutelage of of the priest there, Eli. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter two, verse 18, it says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and she took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one that she prayed for and gave to the Lord, and then they would go home. Look with me at verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with his people. Sounds almost word for word what Luke says about Jesus. All right, a couple of thoughts for us as as we engage on the end of one year and as we begin a new year. Three things here that, that stand out to me uh, in this passage. This one's kind of a precursor. It's not a part of my my three points. Uh, But very simply, the first thing that stands out is the fact that at a very young age, at a young age, um, Jesus has this this profound sense, this, this growing awareness 
of, of who he is, and he's responding to that. And we also see this in Samuel. And so I just, I wanna just lay out for all of us moms and dads, both biologically and spiritually, let us never underestimate what the spirit of God may be doing in our young children. And, and, and also uh, let us allow this to help frame our philosophy of our ministry to children, both here in Antioch, in our schools, in sports, in the arts, in our homes. There is no junior Holy Spirit. I mean, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is moving upon Samuel as a young boy and Jesus at 12 years old. And there's like some massive God activity that's taking place, even though they were younger and more vulnerable in society. And so that's one of the reasons why we pray over our kids on a weekly basis. It's one of the reasons why we wanna elevate and we wanna, we wanna make our ministry from infant to toddlers to pre-K to sixth grade and beyond. We, we want that to be world-class. We're not just babysitting children here. We are participating and we are partnering with the work, the ministry, the activity of the Holy Spirit that is, I believe, currently and presently at work in our children. Perhaps one of the greatest things that we can do as big brothers and big sisters and aunts and uncles and moms and dads is very simply by the spirit of discernment to recognize how God is at work and to speak that out and to affirm that over them. I'm telling you, if you can affirm the work of the Lord, because sometimes they're not even aware of it. Jesus is kind of a special case here, but most of the time our children are not even aware of it. And if you can just spot that and say, this is the work of the Lord that is happening in your life right now. I'm telling you, the fingerprints of God just go a little bit deeper in the lives of our children. All right, here are three thoughts. Number one, we see in Jesus a commitment to his identity. A commitment to his identity. And very simply, this is in his response in verse 49. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, Jesus is revealing something that up to this point, it had always been somebody else who had been speaking this over him. Elizabeth, blessed are you, Mary, for you are carrying you know, the, the child of our Lord. Mary in the Magnificat, in her prayer, she reveals this sense of the divine on Jesus. Earlier in chapter two, we find there's a man by the name of Simeon. We actually preached on him at the same time last year. Simeon, a man old in age where the Lord promised him, Simeon, you're not gonna leave this earth until your eyes fall upon my son. And when they come into the temple to be circumcised, Simeon looks upon him and he knows at that moment, this is God's son, Anna prophetess and the priestess who has devoted her life to praying and to fasting in the temple of the Lord, bears witness by the spirit and prophesies. Zechariah, John the Baptist father, begins prophesying over Jesus. So we have all of these characters in the story who know who Jesus is. And here at the close of, of, of Luke's literary framing of Jesus's uh, infancy to his early childhood, he punctuates this, this part of the, the, the literary book by saying Jesus now comes into this awareness. Didn't you know 
I had to be about my father's business, which many of us know that up until that point, that was just not a frame of reference relationally that the people of Israel had with God. Sovereign, king, just, judge, ruler, ancient of days, ruler of the nations. But Jesus now, even at 12 years old, introduces this paradigm-shattering understanding. I am a beloved son of God. He plays on this in the next couple of chapters. Look with me at Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, this is Luke's account of what I read earlier in Matthew where Jesus goes into the desert, tempted by the wilderness, fasting 40 days and nights, comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes and he essentially begins his public ministry. Look at verse 14 of Luke chapter four. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside and he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Remember the continuity as was his custom here. So don't tell me that that God cannot work in old structures and old systems. He can work in those and leaven those and transform those. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. And he reads this amazing passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And look at the end of him reading this in verse 20. He says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And this is what he says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus had an awareness of his identity in God. And he had this growing commitment to that identity. And I think this is a word for us as we transition out of one year and into another year. Listen, it's so easy. I think the temptation, particularly for us who've been in Christ for any amount of time is to say, yeah, I'm doing pretty well and I know these things. I got the songs down. I've, pretty, I've got the rhythms down. And oh yeah, class on sonship. I've, I, I know sonship. I've read those books. And it's, it's just easy to plateau. It's easy to just become complacent, to become satisfied. And here we find at as early as 12 years old, and we see this consistently throughout the duration of Jesus's life, we see a commitment from Jesus to grow in his understanding and his awareness of his identity, who he's called to be. And particularly throughout the rest of this book and also into John's account, we see that Jesus is revealing, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus had this deepening conviction. This is who God has called me to be in him. And Fred, I'd like to submit to you today that our identity in Christ is nothing, is it, it, we will never completely reach a full understanding of who God has called us to be. We will, as we journey in God, what it means to be a son, my understanding of what it means to be a son at 41 was way different than it was at 31 or at 25 or 21. Because God just doesn't call us to be 
born again, he calls us to mature and to mature in our understanding of who we are as sons and daughters, as the beloved, as those that have been forgiven. And to the degree that we grow in Christ and to the degree that we understand who God has called us to be in him, to that degree then will our ministry flow. Your ministry to the world and to the church is predicated on your growing understanding of your identity in Christ. And we see this here, the second thing that we discover in Jesus, same verse, Luke chapter two, verse 49. Why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That, that phrase there, that I had to be. This is the Greek word day. It's D-E-I. And it seems like such a small, insignificant word, three little Greek letters, but actually the translation of that means I mu- like a divine imperative, a divine must, a non-negotiable, a conviction. And particularly in Luke, there are several passages, and we're gonna go to one of here in a second, but there are several passages where particularly in the latter part of his ministry where he's, where he's approaching his crucifixion, you'll see Jesus say often, don't try to talk me out of this because it is necessary. It is essential. I must go to the cross. And as we transition from one year to the next, I believe that as we grow in our identity, we'll also grow in this sense of our divine conviction, our divine must. So point number two is we must have a commitment to our divine must. We must have this sense inside of us that is graced by the power of the Holy Spirit. It might seem crazy. It might not have ever been done before. It might be unorthodox, but there is this sense of divine conviction. I must do this. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter four, same chapter we looked at. And in the latter part of this chapter in verse 42, at daybreak, Luke 4, 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Understandable. Jesus is already beginning his ministry. He's preaching with power and authority. Signs and miracles and wonders are beginning to take place. They're experiencing revival. And what do we do when we experience revival? Man, we want to build up our tabernacles and our tents. We want to make sure that we stay right here as long as we possibly can. And look what happens as Jesus is soaking and saturating himself in the presence of God, as Jesus is living a life, a fasted life unto the Lord, as Jesus is seeking God for direction, here's what God reveals to him. Verse 43, he said, I must, somebody say, I must. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. I know there's some great things that are happening here. But for me to stay right here in this city is not my divine must. My divine must The mission of the Lord, the divine imperative on my life is that God has sent me to proclaim the kingdom, not just to your town, but to all the towns. And I'm here to tell you today, man, I believe that even as we are participating with God in this time of consecrated sanctification and consecration and preparation, I believe there's gonna be some divine musts that are dropped into your spirit, that give you direction, that give you clarity, that give you conviction. 
And they, they're, gonna, they're gonna enable you to stand even against the tide of the culture and the, the pressure of this world, even pressure within your own family. Or you'll say, why are you being such a fanatic? Why are you being so extreme? Why are you, do, you never used to do those things before and, and you may not have any answer but to say, I can't explain it. All I know is I've got a divine must. I must, I must do this. I must make these lifestyle changes. I must be here at this time. There is something that God is burning in me and birthing in me that I've got to give over to this divine imperative that he's placed on my life. The third thing that we see in Jesus's life is not only a conviction and a commitment to grow in his identity, not only a conviction and a commitment to grow in that calling that God has placed on his life, but I love this perhaps one of my favorite verses. Luke chapter two, verse 52. And Jesus grew. I'm just gonna stop right there. I don't even care what he grew in. I just am so blown away by the fact that Jesus the son of God, complete. Colossians 1 says that, that, that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelled in Jesus. I mean, we're talking about the eternal word. John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus had no beginning. He had no beginning and he'll have no end. Jesus is perfect and he's complete. Jesus says that everything that was created was created in him and by him and for him. And here in Luke chapter two, verse 52, Jesus grew. Jesus grew. In my younger days, I would have gotten pretty snarky and talked about, you know, hey, if Jesus, the son of God, can continue to grow, Right? Now, I understand. I understand life can get busy. I understand that we can just kind of just grow into passivity and complacency and indifference. And it just happens sometimes. You ever been at that place in your spiritual journey where you're like, where, where, where am I? How did I drift so far away? You think about those milestone moments. You think about those altar moments. You think about when you used to burn for God and for the word of God and the things of God. And you remember that fire that used to burn inside of you. Listen, there's no condemnations. Life happens. Life happens. So there's no condemnation in this statement. I'm praying that it be a divine provocation. I'm praying that in, in this time where we step into a new year and, and we say, God, I wanna engage in a higher level of sanctification, consecration, and divine preparation, that you renew something inside of me, that you take me back to my first love, that you reignite a sense inside of me that says, I don't know it all, and I'm not, compl I'm not content with what I do know. There are inexhaustible riches in God for me to discover inside of you and God in the same way that the boy Samuel grew in wisdom and stature and favor. And in the same way that the son of God grew in wisdom and stature and favor. God, I wanna grow. My prayer for us this year, Antioch, as we step out of one season and into another season is that we would have this renewed commitment to grow in our identity to grow in the things that God has called us to and a renewed commitment to grow. A renewed curiosity, a renewed wonder. I mean, just look at Jesus. What is he doing when he's found in the temple? What is, he's sitting down, which is a posture of submission and receiving. 
He's asking questions and he's listening. He's listening. He's learning. He's hungry. He's teachable. He's receptive. He's making efforts. And then his response to mom and dad was, guys, didn't you know this is one of the reasons God put me on the earth? I have to be in the house of the Lord. I have to be sitting under his word. I've, I've got to be engaged. I've got to be feeding my spirit. I've got to be engaging in these disciplines. They're crucial to the things that God has called me ultimately to in my life. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, if that's the case for Jesus, it's the case for you. And it's the case for me. We, we have a great, a great gift today. And, and at this time, I'd like to invite uh, Jonathan's father, Dwayne, here to join us. Uh, we've got two seasoned ministers with us today. Jonathan's dad is with us, and Aaron's dad, Pastor Ben Barnett, is with us. And I just thought a couple of days ago, how, how blessed are we? How blessed are we? that we actually have people that are on our team that come from a lineage and from a history of faith and a, a history of, of, of ministry in the church. And so I asked uh, Pastor Dwayne and I asked Pastor Ben if they would lead us today in the table of the Lord. So Pastor Ben, if you would, if you would come forward, I'd like to call forth our ministers of the table. Uh, come please take your place, prepare minister the table to the body this morning. And I'm going to actually, for those of you who are new with us today, uh, I'm, I'm going to share our perspective on the table that I'm going to allow Pastor Ben to lead us. And you guys can go ahead and come forward and get in your place. Uh, we have what is called a, an, an open table philosophy. Uh, I know not, never, not every tradition may have that. And at this part of our faith journey, this may change, but at this part of our faith journey, we see the table as an invitation. We see the table as a gospel proclamation and we see the table as an invitation. And there's a story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is actually at the house of a group of tax collectors. And there are some people there that really had, had a hard time with that. And Jesus essentially said, listen, I didn't come for those that are healed. I, I came for the sick. I, I, this is exactly where I want to be. And in the Jewish culture, having a meal with someone meant we're friends. It meant we're friends. It meant I welcome you and I accept you and you belong and, and I wanna grow in our friendship. And so today we want you to know that you are welcome and you're invited to come. And our prayer, as we're gonna pray for these elements here in a minute, our prayer is that, is that you experience something of God in the Holy Spirit, even as you come to receive the body and the blood of Jesus. If you are uncomfortable with that, we want you to know that we honor that and we respect that. And while people are standing and moving out of their seats, if you will just step out and then you can come back to your seat, if you would say, I'm just not really ready for this right now. We, we honor that. And there is no pressure and no awkwardness there. And secondly, I just logistically, uh, one, once Pastor Ben leads us and he invites you to come forward, just step out to the left, your left, receive the elements. Pastor Ben, thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Jay. That was a powerful message as we close out one year and face the dawn of a new one. And, uh, you know, when uh, Jade was sharing his comments on fasting, uh, which were very instructive, I thought we're going to end this service today talking about feasting. 
So it's not time yet to fast. Today we come to feast, uh, to feast at the Lord's table. And this is a feast of love, amen? And uh, who is our host but Jesus himself? And he invites us to come to his table. What a privilege that is. And it's a privilege for me to preside over this service of Holy Communion. But it was over two millennia ago that Jesus sat at table with those first disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, the night in which he gave himself up for us. And the scriptures tell us that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on that same night, as the supper was over, he took the cup. And after he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And so it's in remembrance of these mighty acts in Jesus Christ that we, we offer ourselves as holy and living sacrifices in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So we pray, Holy Spirit, bless these gifts, these tokens of your love. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And make us one with Christ and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we have that feast with him in the heavenly banquet. To Jesus Christ our Lord we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.